Philippians 3, 13 through 15. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Upward call. When you connect with God, which way does your life go? Come on, help me out. Upward. See, the world doesn't know that. I think the only thing that's going to happen that goes in an upward direction is, is you're doing good spiritually, but the rest of your life, I uh, can't help you much there. No. When you connect with God, God elevates your life. You begin to move in an upward progression. Now, this needs to be vividly contrasted by juxtapositioning this result with what results from being in the world. The world, the Bible teaches us, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so while when you walk with God, you're going up. You walk with the enemy, it's a spiraling process down. Amen. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, interesting, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Do you know what Paul just did? He challenged believers and said, If you don't think that your life is supposed to be getting better and better, the upward call, he said, you are not mature because as many of us as are mature have this understanding or this mind. And he said, if you don't see it this way, I'm trusting God's going to reveal this to you. He's dealing then with the conceptualization of who God is. Who is God to you? Luke 14, 25 through 30 Jesus has huge crowds that have gathered around him and the multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if any man or anyone comes to me and does not take or hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You say, wait a minute, didn't you just undo everything you said a while ago with that one? verse. You're telling us God wants us to go upward and he's concerned about every part of our life and now you're saying we got to hate everybody. No, you have to understand Hebrewisms, Hebraic expressions of comparison. The way they would compare one thing to another was to take polar opposites and say this is so much this that it makes this look like that. In other words, you are supposed to love me so much that compared to the love you have for your mother and your father, it makes that love look like hatred. He's not telling you to hate your mom and your father. He's not doing that at all. He is talking about the arrangement of priorities on the basis of passion, and he should be first and foremost in our life. And he goes on to say, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Rather, he has enough to finish it. And lest after he has laid the foundation 
and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus said, Before you build your tower, figure out the budget and see what it's going to cost to get from ground to the finished top of this thing. Count the cost and decide if you want it bad enough to pay the price that's going to be required. I want to speak today from this subject. Keep pushing, keep stretching, keep reaching, and keep growing. Father, I pray that you will help us right now and speak a word that will challenge us that we might be able to indeed and in fact experience the upward life in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Andrew preached last Sunday, and I thought he did a tremendous job. And I'm just bragging on my grandson. I really thought he did a great job. And um, Andrew speaks in a lot of conferences. Was, I don't know if there's a week it goes by that kid's not preaching somewhere. He speaks in more conferences, literally, than I do. And uh, focus more on training, raising up frontline leaders in Africa when I travel. But Andrew's got all these invitations. He's quite in demand as a conference speaker. And he, I flew in last Friday, and he had his notes prepared, and he always likes to, go, likes to go over them with me, make sure that everything is theologically correct. But he just blows me away at some stuff that he comes up with. And he did that last Sunday because he made a statement in the message that he did not have in his notes. And, and um, it just really challenged me. All of this week, it put me to thinking. He mentioned that last Friday night he had... And I flew in, as I said, on Friday. He was getting ready. We looked at his notes, and he took off. He went to preach in a conference, and that conference was a don't-waste-your-life conference. And he mentioned last Sunday morning that very fact and said that, in essence, what he preached in the don't-waste-your-life conference was if you don't want to waste your life, don't spend it trying to live your old life. Whoa. Now, that has made me do some thinking this week. We all were raised in a world that is fallen and has a different view of life than does the Scripture. Being raised in a culture causes that culture to seem normal to us, whether it's normal to anybody else or not. It's normal to us. And it makes it more difficult for someone who is raised in one culture to understand another culture that they have recently been introduced to or become a part of. I'll say it like this. You come from one culture to another, you carry the same glasses, and you look at life through the same lenses as you did in that other culture, and that can be very deceptive. Amen. I was raised in a culture, Louisiana, and there are a lot of names that I grew up with and am familiar with that to some people are very strange. And I enjoy telling Thibodeau and Boudreaux jokes. And, and I love hearing people try to pronounce some of those names when they read them. Like Cormier. And, and people say, that's Cormier. No, it's not Cormier. It's Cormier. Or Melanson, like Ken, who's running for a constable member of our church. Some people call him Melancon. That's Melanson. Amen. And you learn all of that. And uh, I like to hear people try to pronounce names like Achafalaya. 
or etouffee. He wrapped their tongue around things. That to me is just as natural as it can be, but some folks struggle with it, and the reason is they want to take the rules of pronunciation that they learned for English and apply them now, and some of those names that I've just mentioned are, are either French names or they're Choctaw Indian names. And uh, Achafalai is a Choctaw Indian name. And they don't work. You can't use the rules from one to make you understand another. It's a different game. It's like trying. I went to Argentina and was preaching about football one time. And, and very quickly it dawned on me football to them was not the same game as I was used to here. They're talking about a round ball you're not supposed to touch with your hands. And I was talking about one that's like oblong. And, you know, you do catch it if you hope to. You hope you do anyway. And, uh, and so a lot of times your culture determines how you interpret things. And speaking of pronouncing things right, have you ever driven across the I-10 bridge from uh, the other side of Lafayette moving toward Baton Rouge? Have you ever driven from Houston to Baton Rouge or on to New Orleans? There's that 18-mile bridge, Chafalaya Swamp Basin, that's what that is. And it cuts through the swamps in both Iberville and St. Martin's Parish. And it's a beautiful wilderness area. A lot of people have trouble pronouncing that name. And it is a Choctaw Indian name, as I said a while ago. And it, it actually means Long River. And when you cross that bridge, as you come out on the other side, closer to Baton Rouge, there are all these there are truck stops and there's, uh, you know, drive-through restaurants and Burger King and, you know, gas stations and convenience stores that 18-mile section of bridge, there, there's not much place to stop there. And frequently, tourists that have been through there for the first time, they'll stop, and they'll go, and they'll ask, how do you pronounce the name of that thing we came through? And uh, there it is right there on the heat. Try to pronounce that if you're not raised in Louisiana. Amen. And they went into the, two of them went into the Burger King, and they walked up to the young lady behind the counter, and uh, they asked her, uh, said, how do you pronounce this name, the name of this place? And the little girl looked at him, and uh, she said, what? And they said, how do you pronounce the name of this place? And she thought, I don't know where you came from. They said, no, we want to know how to pronounce the name of this place. We were just arguing about it. And she looked at him and said, Burger King. <laughs> you know they weren't talking about Burger King. They was talking about a Chafalaya. But it was so normal to her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She never thought they were questioning how to pronounce a Chafalaya. She grew up saying that. And without realizing it, when you come into the kingdom of God, you begin to interpret what you see, read, and hear through the filters that were developed in the lifetime you lived before the cross in a fallen world. Amen. And sometimes that makes things not compute and without even being aware of it, you begin to subconsciously adjust things and force them to fit into your pre-established paradigms and presuppositions. And the problem with that is those presuppositions and paradigms came from the principles of a fallen world. In the kingdom, you're required to learn new principles that lead to the upward life. That old life, the principles led downward. 
a spiraling downward effect. Amen. And uh, we end up making adjustments. We kind of do what that guy did. This is a joke, y'all. Who moved from Canada down to New Orleans. And one day he got up and he looked outside. And my goodness, there's a dead man on his porch. Somebody's died there during the night. And he calls 911. And he tells the dispatcher, I want to report a dead man is on my porch. And the dispatcher asked, are you sure he was dead? And the guy said, I'm pretty sure he is. He's dead. And the dispatcher asked what the address was so they could send the coroner and the officers to investigate. And the man said, I live at 903 Choptula Street. Put that up there if you would. And uh, the dispatcher asked him to spell the name of the street. And he said, that's 903 Choptulas. That's C-H-O-P-2. That'd be T-W-O. No, that's not right. It's C-H-O-P-I-T-T-W. No, that's not right. Hold on just a minute, dispatcher. And the dispatcher hears the man huffing and, and groaning and breathing hard. And he said, sir, are you all right? What's the matter? He said, I'm okay. He said, I can't spell Choptulus. I'm dragging the guy over to 903 St. James. Amen. I can spell that. We start making adjustments based upon our old life rather than getting rid of that stuff. Amen. Many of us still carry an image of God that was developed in that past life. And that's why that song I thought was so brilliant a while ago. He loved us when we were sinners. If he loved us when we were in total rebellion and without God, why did he stop loving us when we decided to serve him? Get mad at us all of a sudden. People got it all screwed up in their mind. Amen. These things are significant in this, for this reason. They affect your ability to dream and see dreams fulfilled. Because God has dreams for you. Everybody has dreams. Even God has dreams. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. God dreams of mankind coming to him and the broken relationship being repaired. God has dreams for your life. That's why I'm using that verse from Jeremiah about all the things God wants to do to bless you. And one of the best things I can tell you is that God is for you. Amen. Religion often postures God as being against you, but he isn't. He's for you. Amen. Luke 12 and 32 says it's a father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And a kingdom is about many things. It's, it's about government. It's about the economy. It's about health. It's about the welfare of its subjects, not just spirituality. And somewhere along the way, the church made an error, and we decided that all the gospel was was a message that concerns spirituality. It's more than that. It is a holistic message that is designed to put you on an upward path in your life. Amen. In every area of your life. Now, even though the church has not acknowledged that, mankind has an innate hunger to get back on that path. Adam was there. Genesis 1 and 23, God blessed him and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. 
God gave Adam and Eve dominion over all of the earth. And what we call in theology the fall, they sinned and they lost all of that. But even in this lower state, there is within every one of us a hunger to get back to the top, as it were, to ascend once more. That's why Paul calls it the upward life. Amen. Because he knows that inside of all of us, there's a force that wants us to do better, that makes us want to improve our lives. And, and the result is, is that what happens is there's a whole lot of idol worship going on and hero worship. And, and we see somebody that has made it and a, but a higher up the ladder at least than we have. And we're enthralled by that. We're fascinated by that. We make celebrities out of people and out of movie stars and rock stars. Hello, am I talking to anybody? And, and the wealthy, the Bill Gates and, and Stephen Jobs or, or Warren Buffett or Donald Trump. We, we make celebrities out of sports figures because they're living at a life above the level we're at. And what is in us is driving us to reach up to that. The church in not ministering to that drive has left mankind to seek that drive and its release by following people that are not necessarily leading them the right direction. Amen. Oh, I need somebody to say praise the Lord. When Jesus came, he came as the second Adam, and he came to restore everything that man had lost. Remember that. And so I'm speaking today from this subject this morning, keep pushing, keep stretching, keep reaching, and keep growing, because for you to fulfill your dream, build your dream, there's a process involved. You've got to see it, which is vision, and you've got to say it, which is to speak life and stop speaking death. It's amazing how much death we speak over our own lives, our kids, our, our job. I hate this job. Amen. Remember Johnny Paycheck from another era? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. And I mean, we, we just gripe and, and we find reason to complain and tell our kids, you're never going to mount to anything. Speaking death. Or how about this one? I'm trying to catch the flu. Well, pray tell me why would you try to catch the flu? We speak death over ourselves and wonder why we get sick. You understand what I'm trying to say? We go through life speaking the wrong things rather than speaking life over our endeavors, our business, our ministry, our families. And then after you see it, which is vision, and say it, which has to do with speaking life. You gotta pray it. You need supernatural help. And and today I want to talk about you gotta pay it. Amen. There's a price to pay. Amen. Amen. Dreams are not free, in case you haven't noticed. They cost something, and the greater the dream, the greater the price. You must pay the price if you're going to go beyond mediocrity and on to the extraordinary and upward life we would all prefer to live. Jesus did extraordinary things. I mean, he got everybody's attention like right now. Hey, did you hear what Jesus did? And he did not do what he did as God. That's another error in our theology. 
We think that since he was God manifest in the flesh, he used his God abilities to do everything he did. No, Philippians 2 tells us the opposite of that. He became the son of man, Philippians 2, laid aside all of these special powers as God and took upon himself the form of a servant to show us, watch it now, real close, what the second Adam, because that's what he was called by Paul, he's the second Adam, he wanted to show us the second Adam did what we could do fully submitted to the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God in our hearts. And so Jesus, when he opened blind eyes or walked on water, I know it makes good preaching to say, as a man, he got tired and went to sleep in the bow of the boat. But as God, he woke up and said, peace be still. Only problem with that is it's spiritually, or it's theologically rather incorrect. He went to sleep as a man and woke up as a man and then said as the second Adam, a man submitted to God and filled full of the Spirit, peace be still. And he was showing us what we have the potential of becoming. Hallelujah. And whenever they were enthralled and flabbergasted by everything he did, he said in St. John 14, the things that I do, you're going to do also, and you're going to do bigger stuff than this because I'm getting ready to go be with my father. And they said, how, Lord, how? He said, I'll be your mentor. I'll be your master, and you will be my disciple. The word disciple is a word that means student. You come study, but I'm going to tell you, if any man will follow me, He's got to take up his cross. There's a price to be paid to get to the next level. Mediocrity doesn't cost you anything, but if you're going to get to the upward life, it's going to cost you some stuff. And, and you can do more than I'm doing. I'm willing to teach you how, but are you willing and do you want it bad enough to pay the price necessary to get there? Oh, I, I, I'm talking to somebody at this moment. Jesus said, if you're tired of living the ordinary life, I'll help you. And all you got to do is just keep pushing and keep stretching and keep reaching and keep growing. And Paul follows this up by saying, I have not yet got there myself. I haven't apprehended what I'm pursuing after yet. And you, you said, Paul, you haven't? Writer of half the New Testament, mighty apostle, did more than... Anybody else we know of in the history of the church, you haven't got there yet? Paul said, no, I've not peaked out yet. Amen. But this one thing I do, I keep pressing for the upward life. You see where I'm at right now? I didn't get here yesterday. I've been working to get here for a long time. But I'm not satisfied. I've enjoyed the view. I've looked around. But there's another level up a little higher. And I'm seeking that one next. Amen. What is he saying? He's saying you've got to pay the price. And he said, I count everything lost that I may pay it. And I want to say something today. This Bible and this gospel that I'm preaching, again, is not just about spiritual matters. The rule that applies to the spiritual matters, the spirituality in your life, applies to the other dimensions as well. Your marriage, your career, the business you want to build, your education, all of those things, your health. What I'm saying is to get to the next level in any area of your life, you have to press. You're going to have to pay the price to get there. I once served on a board of a ministry with Bunker Hunt. Bunker Hunt is the famous uh, Texas 
an oil baron and billionaire that died a few years ago. I served on a ministry board with him. I became the chairman of that board. In fact, I've never told you about that. But Bunker Hunt was an extraordinary person. He was at one time the wealthiest man in the world. That was before Bill Gates and some of the others. This guy made some money, he and his brother. And uh, recently, he uh, went on to eternity not all that long ago and to meet God. And he, he was, at that time, a very committed believer. Bunker Hunt had this to say. He believed that success was simple. Now, before you discount it, just let me remind you, anybody that's made billions, I'm going to listen to them before I throw in my two cents worth. Help me out here. One thing you should always learn in life is go up to get advice, but go down to give it. What does that mean? Don't tell somebody what to do that knows more than you. Amen. You go to them to learn what to do. This guy, he's made billions. He made billions. Bunker Hunt said success is simple, and he had two rules, he said, that will guarantee your success. Rule number one, decide specifically what you want. Details matter here. You can't go around setting goals for yourself in life that are so broad and general that you can't visualize and actualize them. Sit down. Write out what your goals are. Create sub-goals based upon those larger ones and make sure they're as detailed and specific as they can possibly be. You say, is it necessary to write it out? Do I have to do it to get to heaven? No, might not be necessary to get to heaven, but if you're serious about making your life better than it is, it is important, and you need to do this to get to the next level. Listen to these verses, Psalm 27 and 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek. Philippians 3, 13 through 15, do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. The verse already read, Habakkuk 2 and 2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Write it down. Why? Because a vision you don't write down is not a vision at all. Amen. It's too vague. It's too ethereal. It's, it's too gossamer-like. It, it's not defined well enough. Everyone who is serious about reaching the next level should have a classic five-year plan that describes where they would like to be in the next five years. And then you break that down into smaller goals that be, become steps towards your dream. What are your one-year goals, your three-month goals, your three-week goals, and your daily goals as well? Amen. And my dad taught me something when I was a young man that I've never forgotten. He always carried around in his shirt pocket a small tablet and a pen beside it. And I asked him one day, Dad, why do you always carry that around? I see you're writing on it. He said, this is my to-do list, and he showed it to me. He said, if you're going to get anywhere in your life, you're going to have to write what you want to get done down. And he said, I don't give myself time to do anything else that's not on this list that I haven't made important until I finish this list. I put first things first. He taught me that. Now, you have to understand my home is, uh, I have a tremendous marriage. Jerry and I have been married a long time. 
But my wife is a perfectionist when it comes to housekeeping and keeping the house and things neat and clean. And that's a good thing. I like that. So don't think I'm, I'm complaining. People have said for years, you can eat off that woman's floors. And they're not joking. I mean, the house is clean. Back in the day, she used to, we used to have a lot of carpet. These days, she is more into tile and hardwood floors. But back when we had carpet, I'm serious. She was so fastidious about cleaning. If we got ready to go somewhere, she vacuumed her way out the door. Amen. I'm not making that up. On many an occasion, I've been sitting in the car with a car running and blowing the horn and said, Jerry, we got to go. I'll be there in a minute. And she's vacuuming the footsteps up from our bedroom to the through the hall to the door. I don't know what she was thinking. If a burglar comes in, I want him to know that I'm the best housekeeper in Houston or something. Amen. Can't have him coming into a dirty house. Now, that while that's a good thing, it cost us problems and and challenges in our ministry early on because I started doing what my dad did and I started carrying a to-do list and I'd set it down and here comes that little tornado and it would be gone and where's my list? I, I don't know what list and the, the piece of paper I put right here just five minutes ago I don't know what you're talking about that piece of paper, it's important. This is my month's goals written down. This is everything I got to do today. And she said, oh, that, that, that old crumpled piece of paper, that trash, I threw that away and put it out by the road. The garbage man done picked it up. What? You just created a month vacuum in my life is what you have done. You've set me back. Those are my goals. And, and, and it, it, what I'm trying to say is, is that, well, thank God for iPhones. Thank God, amen. Because now I've got a to-do list on my iPhone and she hasn't picked that one up and run off with it. And so thank God for that. The reason you write it down is because if you don't, you'll squander your time. It was John Greenleaf Whittier who said of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. You don't want to wait until you don't have time left to suddenly realize what should have mattered. Amen. And by the way, you're saying, why three-week goals, three-month goals? It's a trick, you see. You, you fake yourself out. Because most of us are taught to think in terms of a month. But a month seems like a lot of time. i got a whole month to do this. It's a little bit different if you look at it and say, i only got three weeks to get this done. You trick yourself out. And what I'm really saying is to achieve your dream, you need a lot of smaller goals along the way. And you have to break it up into bite-sized portions. And for example, if your goal is to be physically fit, it means today on my list, I've got to hit the gym for an hour or hour and a half. If it's uh, playing guitar, I've got to practice my major and minor pentatonic scales as soon as I can before the day is over. If it's to get advanced in my career. I've got to learn everything I can about my profession so I'm the best that there is at it. And when promotion time comes, I'm the only guy standing out there. Amen. And, and if it's advancing my education, I've got to start night classes this semester. In other words, you can't stay home watching the Golden Girls. I know Betty White rocks, but you can't waste your time sitting in front of a TV 
Do you know that a television has been one of the biggest curses to the upward life that people can live that has ever been? Because we will give hours to something that doesn't add a single thing to us. Hello, I'm preaching right now. You gotta take time for what matters. And if you're going to be an authentic Christian, it means you can't skip church just for some little old reason. You need to be in the house of God every weekend. Why? Because I've got there up around number one on my goal to become like Christ. And, and hallelujah. I feel my anointing working right now. Rule number two, Bunker Hunt said, after rule number one, which was make your goal as specific as possible, rule number two is decide you're willing to pay the price and then pay it. That's what you do. You go pay it. And this is the big one. And it's what I'm talking about today. Even God had to be willing to pay the price to see his dream of mankind coming into corrected relationship with God become a reality. He gave his only begotten son. What a price inherent in our slogan, build your dream. Do you see that? You got to do some work. You got to build it. You got to construct it. You've got to make it happen. It implies effort on our part. It also suggests that time will be necessary to make it happen. Everyone envies those who are living their dream, whether that is their, in their marriage or their career, their ministry, their business, the car they drive, or the house they live in. But the truth is, there's no need for you to envy anybody. It is possible for anyone and everyone in this building to live their dream. All you have to do is be willing to pay the price after you have defined and made your dream as detailed as possible. There's a price to pay. Somebody say there's a price to pay. Amen. Dreams are not free. Matthew 13, 44 through 46, and I'm about to wrap it up. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Did you hear that? To get the treasure in the field, you have to buy the field. Come on, help me out. You don't just buy the place where the treasure's at. You buy the field. That means the rocky ground that will never grow anything except weeds. You can't build anything there. It won't ever be good for anything but for rocks. That's all it's good for. You've got to buy the field. That's part of it. You've got to buy the other part down where the land is lower, where there's a marsh, a swamp. It breeds mosquitoes. It never will be good for anything either. But you've got to take the bad with the good to build your dream. Amen. What we want to do is go in and just pick out the treasure and leave the hard stuff, the bad stuff. It doesn't work like that. You've got to fight your way through the challenges. Hello, somebody. You've got to make your way through the shortcomings and, and over the disappointments and around the obstacles. And you've got to pay the price. And when do you stop? 
when you stop paying your price is when you realize your dream. Or if you stop before you fulfill your dream, your dream will never be fulfilled. When do you stop? Never. Not until the, the dream becomes a reality. Amen. You've got to buy the whole package. Everybody wants to live the lifestyle of a doctor maybe or an attorney. You know, did you know, get this now because I want to share this with you, the average American physician, and we have a number in our church, that will, will, they will spend 14 years of training for a job, four years of college, four years of medical school, and residencies and fellowships that last between three and eight years. Kent Snell, for example, has to, uh, told me he has spent, I think it's 28 years he spent in school. And everybody said, I want to live on a nice, in a nice house and I want to drive a nice car. Yeah, but are you willing to pay the price to get there? Hello, somebody. I once flew with the U.S. judo team, Olympic judo team. They were on their way to the games. The guy sitting in the seat beside me was 27 years old, and he was going to compete and was uh, uh, almost a lock for the gold medal. And he told me a little bit about himself. That fascinated me. I said, how long have you been practicing? He said, since I was seven years old, four hours every day. For 20 years, yeah. You want a gold medal, that's what it costs you to be able to get there. Hallelujah. The greater the dream, the greater the price. The question is, are you willing to pay it? Don't be like the dude that sits around all day watching movies and playing video games and dreaming about being a songwriter. Don't be that guy. You're deceiving yourself. Hello, somebody. Even if that guy has talent, he'll never fulfill his dream because you've got to write a lot of bad songs before you have a hit. Amen. Am I talking to anybody? Anybody remember the artist named Prince? His brother got saved in a revival meeting I was preaching some years ago. A guy didn't get to where he was, he's, has climbed to in life. Maybe he's not all over the charts now because he's moving toward retirement. But this guy has had some of the hottest songs that have ever come out. Uh, just so that some of the young folk don't know who this guy is. Spin it, DJ. not supposed to know that song. Amen. I'm going to tell God on you. <laughs> now, if that offended you, pray for me, please. But I enjoyed it. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about this guy. He has written one song a day for years. That's 365 songs a year, 10,365. I'm sorry, uh, multiply that by 10, 3,650 songs in 10 years. This guy has written a lot of songs. Of course he's going to write a hot one every now and then. Of course. A lot of them you never have heard of. 
and he would be embarrassed if anybody heard them. And I'm done. But that's how you build a dream. You work to build it. You build it. You don't sit around and wait for it to come in. Hello. It takes years to build a business and all along the way there are adjustments and challenges and, and there are tears and, and there are times you wonder if you're going to make it and then one day you're successful and then everybody else says, gee, I wish I could be blessed like you. And you want to say, do you mind looking that way, God, for just a minute while I... Hello. It's like the fellow said one time, he saw the old farmer in a beautiful field, and he said, man, God has blessed you, blessed your field. And the old farmer, he'd gotten enough of it, he finally said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. Amen. <laughs> Work. You've got to press. You've got to stretch. You've got to reach. You've got to challenge yourself. Don't get locked in in front of a television. Do something with your life. Make your life count for God. And what I'm talking about will work in every area of your life. Amen. Don't sit around being guilty of magical thinking and thinking just because you want it, it's going to someday happen. It's not. Roll up your shirt sleeves and get out there and go get it.